episode of Party Like a Marketer, the podcast dedicated to cannabis marketing, public relations, and authentic storytelling. I'm your host, Lisa Buffo, the founder and CEO of the Cannabis Marketing Association. And you can connect with me on Instagram at LeeBuff or Twitter at LeeBuff21. And don't forget to join us at this year's annual Cannabis Marketing Summit, June 7th through 9th in Denver for two and a half days of cannabis marketing speakers, best practices, networking, over three stages in the heart of Civic Center Park. We're also gonna have an outdoor lounge with yard games, picnic tables, blankets, and food trucks, and an expo floor. So you're definitely not gonna to wanna to miss out on that. Today's conversation features Catherine Merritt, the founder and CEO at Spool Marketing. Catherine founded Spool with the belief that the world most definitely didn't need another agency. In fact, it could do with a few less, but it could use a new type of agency, which is what she set out to do with Spool. Catherine remains involved in all clients at Spool, investing her time, and yes, that's right, the only CEO whose bill rate is $0, so she is able to remain actively engaged in all client strategies while running the agency and its growing investment arm. Catherine brings a fearlessness and empathetic lens to everything she is part of and expects as much from her team and Spool's clients alike. Catherine's career runs the gamut from event management for Antiques Roadshow to constituent services for local government offices to being shampoo girl at Mary Sue's hair design from time to time when she was in eighth grade through high school. She has a BA in creative writing from Skidmore College in Saratoga Springs, New York. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Party Like a Marketer, the podcast focused on cannabis marketing, public relations, and authentic storytelling. Today's guest is Catherine Merritt, the founder and CEO of Spool Marketing. Catherine, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yes. Well, let's get started. Why don't you start by telling the audience a little bit about yourself, um, your background, you know, what brought you to the cannabis industry, and then Spool Marketing. What is Spool? Um, you're the founder, so would love to hear a little bit about your founding story and, and what it is that you all do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, thank you again for having me on. I, uh, throughout my career, worked in sort of the bigger global agency world. I worked on a lot of, you know, consumer product goods. I worked on brands like Oscar Mayer and, you know, Chef Boyardee. Um, and ultimately, I sort of pursued the startup world. Um, there's a whole story better told over drinks. Um, but at some <laughs> point we'll, we'll probably hash it out, but, um, but essentially I made the decision to kind of pursue working with early stage companies and startups, um, just because I loved sort of that energy and my very first client, when I sort of jumped ship from that big global agency world was a cannabis brand that is now called Dosist. Um, it's based in California. Um, and I had the opportunity opportunity and the privilege to, to lead and to be part of the brand's launch. Um, and in fact, it was a pretty exciting moment back in 2016 um, when I was working with them and we were able to get them named as one of Time Magazine's um, inventions of the year. And that was a really just exciting 
and, um, you know, sort of eye-opening moment. Um, and I was really drawn to working with that brand specifically because of how they were approaching just the overall cannabis landscape. They're based in California. And of course, there were so many um, cannabis brands and companies and just, you know, you know, flower out in the market. But um, what Dosist really did that was so, I think, pioneering in the industry, really, it was they kind of self-imposed a lot of the similar type of kind of, you know, self-regulation and sort of oversight, similar to a lot of brands that I had worked with, including like Oscar Mayer and, you know, Chef Boyardee brands that really kind of upheld their own, you know, their own and their, um, and the regulated within their industry sort of, you know, laws and, and kind of ethics and how to kind of approach that. And so in working with Dosist and working with a company that was so committed to making sure they were providing, uh, you know, the best sort of safest um, regulated um, product out there. And again, self-regulated say, um, it was really exciting because I realized that there was a ton of application of my life as a traditional kind of CPG marketer that could translate within the cannabis space. Um, and so that was sort of the foray into it and, um, have since gone on to work with other cannabis brands. I, uh, my agency school worked with Flourish, which is a Michigan, Michigan based brand. Um, we have worked with others kind of throughout the country, but, um, it continues to be, um, a, a, something that I find to be just exciting. I think um, I'm a curious creature and we all know that there is no end to what you can learn. And the second that you feel like you have a good grasp on it, expect everything to change um, because that's sort of how, how it goes. Um, <clears throat> but that was um, sort of how I got into it. And it's funny too, I will just say um, that my husband jokes that I'm like the only, you know, Grateful Dead fan that he knows that actually doesn't like being stoned. And it's true. I actually don't, don't enjoy cannabis from a recreational standpoint, although I do use it almost every night to help me um, with sleep. So um, I, I am one of the kind of more wellness focused users who really sees the upside from a um, sort of alternative to traditional, you know, traditional pharma and kind of medication options to help with some of my own kind of restlessness. <laughs> that makes sense. And okay. So you jumped from the corporate CPG marketing world into cannabis in 2016. I did. Yeah. Um, I left the agency that I was at, which was one, I think the fifth largest global agency. And I went out on my own to consult and I started working with Dosist. Um, I started also working with other startups. I worked with some VCs. And then um, in September of 20, 2018, yes, um, I sort of parlayed my consultancy into what is now School. And so School is a marketing and communications agency. We're based in Chicago, Illinois. Um, we are the fastest growing communications agency globally, which is still kind of bonkers. Um, but I think it's because we work. Thank you. Thank you. I know it's, I, I, I know it, I know it's true because I'm so busy and because it's like we, you know, keep adding people and it's, it's, it's wild and it's exciting, but, um, still kind of hard to believe. Um, and yeah, and we work with, you know, in addition to cannabis brands, we work with emerging kind of food and beverage brands and, um, you know, wellness and supplements, um, and things like that. So, so very much, I think in kind of the space in which cannabis exists of just trying to make, you know, life a little bit better, happier, healthier, and more enjoyable for consumers. And so we love being able to work with a lot of companies and brands that kind of also exist in that space. 
That makes sense. Yeah. I was going to ask. And so are you, you're based in Chicago as well? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're awesome. downtown Chicago. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, great. So thank you for telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about school. Um, so first I would like to kind of just talk about the lessons you've learned in the cannabis marketing space. When, when I founded CMA, a lot of it was based on the fact that marketers in this arena were learning by, you know, trial by fire, trial by error, so to speak. And there weren't really an established set of best practices. Um, And I I do want to kind of come back to what you said about working with, um, I think you said Chef Boyardee and Oscar Mayer and how some of these brands were self-regulating, which is something that cannabis, um, I mean, we're regulated by the government, but to some degree in marketing and advertising is something we're figuring it out as well. So what are some of the lessons you've learned about maybe what was different or what was similar from working in these in in, uh, your previous industries versus cannabis? And how has that um, sort of shaped your approach to how you run school or maybe perhaps some of the services you offer? Yeah, absolutely. So, and let me just clarify too quickly. So when I started working with Dosis in 2016, there was not a lot of outside kind of regulatory oversight. There were some few principles in terms of how cannabis was legal and accessible kind of in the marketplace within California, but there were not many companies or brands within the cannabis space that were sort of self-imposing or self kind of, you know, kind of creating their own rules with the same level of rigor that you see maybe in the alcohol or the spirit space, or you see in like traditional food space, which are obviously very highly regulated from a governmental standpoint. So it was, you know, when I think back to 2016, and obviously that has changed a lot between you know 2016 and where we are today. But what was really fascinating then was how Dosis took that kind of approach and they recognized that if we're putting the consumers and we're putting patients first, we have to make sure we're providing as good of a product, as reliable of a product, you know, the best way to administer the product um, as possible. Um, because there's just so many other things out there and there was a lot of confusion. And so if we're looking to approach and to sort of, you know, create a mass marketplace for, you know, cannabis and for new users, like how to bring in people who maybe take Tylenol PM and how to kind of educate and get them to understand that cannabis can be a much better, healthier option versus traditional medications and kind of pharmaceutical options. There was you know, a real importance of making sure that you put the patient or the consumer first and that you really provide that level of information, that level of kind of transparency and, you know, build that trust. And so that was, I think, what was so exciting back in 2016 was that Dosis was, I think, one of the first really in the marketplace to, to kind of have that insight and to be able to kind of, you know, provide that. And I think now we see that across the board, you know, any dispensary you go into or any, you know, product that you see, you know, there's so much information and there's a lot more transparency. And I, and I applaud every brand that has sort of followed suit because, you know, I think that only continues to move and to kind of broaden the overall category in the marketplace and bring more consumers in. Um, so, you know, so it, it is interesting, but what I would say is, you know, the tenants and how we market cannabis, and obviously there's still, you know, now there's, and, and even then too, there's a lot of like regulations in terms of what you can and you can't say, and just, you know, it's not, not that dissimilar to how you market alcohol or other, you know, highly regulated products. Um, but what I would say is the work that we do um, at Spool with you know, public relations, with influencers, is we work with kind of credible third-party, um, you know, outlets 
you know, media um, outlets, journalists, influencers, and, you know, we're able to work with them and to kind of give them the resources, the education, so that they are the ones that are able to kind of go out there and to kind of share this with their audience and with their readers. And so what that does is that also helps kind of build the credibility that it's not just coming from a specific brand, where obviously when you see an advertisement, you know the intention and you know that it's not unbiased and it's coming from, you know, a company that's trying to prompt purchase or, or whatever they're looking to kind of incent. And but when you're reading about it in, you know, a magazine or when you see Time Magazine and they have amidst, you know, I think that year they had Casper mattress, they had, um, you know, Quip toothbrushes, they had, you know, incredible other, you know, consumer products as part of their, you know, cohort of best inventions of 2016. And so to have a cannabis product and a cannabis brand included amongst those normal, you know, products and innovations that we use in a you know, daily basis, it was huge. It was really exciting. And so as we, you know, continue to work in the cannabis space, you know, it, it is continuing to bring forward, you know, the same way that we market other brands to consumers and understanding what are the consumer mindsets? Who are we talking to? How are we, you know, providing the right information? How are we, you know, um, you know, just making sure that everything we're doing has an impact the same way we would um, market to consumers for, you know, for lunch meats or for, you know, um, soda or for, you know, what have you. So it's just making sure that we're putting the consumer first. And that was something that I saw, you know, um, in the front line when Dosis was going into market in 2016. Yes, and a uh, few things I want to add to that. So, you know, from my recollection, Dosis was one of the first companies to do effects-based marketing and be very sort of clear about, you know, this product is going to equal this effect. And it had sort of that clear um, communication, design, color, branding that I, that I think was very different at the time. Um, and 2016 was very nascent in California as well. So, they, I mean, things were new um, for the industry as a whole. Um, and I also wanted to mention, like, so jumping around a little bit here. So not only that, as far as the clear effects-based marketing, but what you had said about um, alcohol and other similarly regulated industries, cannabis marketing's regulations are based off of the alcohol industry and, and what they do. And I think that that was a really great basis as far as, um, you know, here's how to approach a controlled substance or a regulated sort of adult product, but it isn't the full picture. It, it, it makes a lot of sense for what well, I guess we could say that rec side or that adult use side, but cannabis obviously has more uses um, than alcohol. And there is that sort of wellness and medicinal side that alcohol doesn't as well. So that can limit um, the avenues and the channels that are available to cannabis marketers. But what I love about public relations and communications is that it's protected by the first amendment. So you can say whatever you want to a journalist, you're allowed to educate, you're allowed to speak to them. Um, and that falls within freedom of speech. So it does allow the industry and, you know, folks who are knowledgeable about the plant to get that education and that consumer focused um, information out there into the press and into the public in a way that isn't necessarily restricted based on um, the marketing and advertising regulations or any type of standard that a company would um, put in necessarily. So I think communications is just a really, and PR specifically, great way, like you said, that third party credibility um, and way to just connect with consumers and patients where they are about these products. 
Totally. And also it, it allows us to reach multiple markets and multiple states, because that's the other thing is that, you know, what in how you're able to market and to talk about cannabis from a controlled messaging and advertising standpoint in one market in one state is very different than how, you know, Michigan versus Colorado versus, you know, Nevada or Illinois or California. So that is the other thing is that then, you know, it makes it really challenging as marketers to be able to scale, not just from a local kind of state level media market, but if we're talking to broader national outlets, it allows us to also reach multiple, you know, states and, um, you know, populations and consumers um, without having to kind of custom curtail every single kind of message point and making sure everything checks all the boxes in what you are allowed to say in Michigan versus Colorado versus Illinois, et cetera. Yes. Definitely. So that ties into what I would like to talk about next. So you mentioned that you want to, or you started off working with startups and you like that early stage. So a lot of startups can't, um, you know, afford PR agencies or marketing or communications agencies. So what are some of the things you do when you first work with a company um, to approach their PR and their marketing? Um, and what are some tips that you might have for those um, who, who might be growing and getting to the phase of being able to engage with an agency? But what's, what's kind of that first step when you start working with them? Um, and what do you think is sort of the most important I'll call it tool in a toolbox that um, cannabis entrepreneurs and marketers can use at that early stage to help them, you know, achieve the growth that they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a big reason in why I started school was because I wanted to find a way to work with early stage companies. And absolutely to your point, um, Lisa, you know, it's, it's harder if they haven't had a chance to go through a round of investment, or maybe they're in the midst of trying to, you know, fundraise, um, it, you know, they are limited in terms of what they can spend. And, um, and, and that really prices out a lot of bigger agencies. And so, you know, for a school, what we have done, even as we've continued to grow, we have an entire sort of arm of our business that is designated and um, created to work with very early stage companies in which we are working with them at a, you know, very uh, modified sort of, you know, rates and, and making it accessible so that we can help them. Um, and we also partner with different, you know, incubators and organizations to even, you know, donate some of our services to early stage companies because, you know, I've had my own startups kind of, you know, on the side and totally empathize that, you know, it is hard. And I think the first year or so of a company trying to get off the ground could be really grueling. And if we can play any role in, you know, just helping them and kind of giving them a boost or giving them sort of a surge of, you know, outreach or awareness, um, you know, that can help the business, but can also just help the mindset of founders. And, and we are a very founder forward agency. Um, when we start working with a client, whether it's a very small, you know, startup or a larger company, um, we apply that same kind of entrepreneurial mindset to every client that we work with. And by that, I mean, we really immerse ourselves and understand what are the challenges that, you know, that they're going through, who are they trying to talk to? What are the kind of next steps that they need to get from a business standpoint to be able to, you know, kind of keep pushing their, their company and their brand and, and their kind of entity forward? Um, in fact, we even, you know, through, through school will kick off internal meetings with a question of what's keeping, you know, so-and-so, whichever client up at three in the morning. And that's not a 
marketing or a communications question, but it's like, you know, are they facing legislation that might be, you know, depleting their, you know, consumer base? Are they dealing with supply chain, you know, issues like everyone else? Or what are like bigger factor issues? And then also we push ourselves to ask and to kind of optimize, are we providing what they need right now to kind of address some of those challenges? And if we're not, how do we make sure that we can be nimble and agile partners to them and kind of, you know, modifying along the way. Um, and so, you know, that is kind of what we ground all of our work and our strategy on. And I'd say for early stage companies, a lot of times it's helping to just prove validation and prove viability and making sure that they're, you know, that we're able to reach who their key audience is, if that's consumers or if they're B2B and they're looking for more trade engagement. Um, and then we also push ourselves to think through how do we maximize the results that we can get and how do we really kind of push, you know, great media articles or, you know, TV segments and how can we make sure that we're leveraging that for their sales team or through some of their other owned channels, you know, and, and just making sure that we're pushing it forward. Or if a company is looking to raise investment, how do we, you know, getting written up in the New York Times is a really awesome validating, you know, sort of accolade for a company and a brand. So we sure as hell want to make sure we put that into their pitch deck and make sure that we're letting every, you know, investor out there know about them. Or we might just be pitching, you know, the VC um, space and, and trying to build a little momentum um, and awareness for a company, a brand with that specific audience in mind. So we, you know, it really does kind of vary brand to brand and, and client to client, but it all starts with really, um, strong foundational understanding kind of what the business is, what do they need to, you know, kind of either go to market or to scale or to, to grow and how do we work with them? And I think because of that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset, we don't ever view something as just like, let's check the box and be done with it. But we are, you know, constantly pushing ourselves to make sure that the value we're bringing is really getting them to where they need to be. I love that. And I like that you asked the what keeps them up at 3 a.m. Because I think that as a founder changes a lot and that can often be just all consuming as far as your time and your mental energy, um, whether or not that's related to marketing and communications. And if there's a way that that can be solved or you feel like you're working with partners um, who are helping you solve those problems, it is it is really helpful to get past that sort of launch um, hump of that first year or however many years um, in cannabis, because sometimes it, it does take longer. Um, and I also wanted to ask you, what is the story behind the name School Marketing? How did you get Oh, that? gosh. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I should have a much better answer for this. But honestly, <laughs> um, so when I was consulting, I kind of got to a tipping point where I was like, I think my clients are going to catch on that they need like an agency, you know, and I was sort of assembling teams behind the scenes, but it was me as the consultant. And so I kind of went back and forth and I spoke with a couple of smaller agencies in Chicago about like acquiring me. And, you know, I was using the term like acquire me. And I was like, I don't even know what that means exactly, but we're just going <laughs> to figure it out. And I had lunch with the, like, a, you know, a few of them and they were very nice, but I was like, you know, I left that world really, you know, with the intention that I was never going back. And just to be clear, I left it with no idea that I was going to start my own agency. And so when I kind of came to the conclusion of like, shoot, I think I'm just going to have to like start my own thing because I really don't want to go back to that world. Um, and my husband and I were joking and he's like, well, what are you going to call it? You know, and he's like merit, you know, merit marketing. And it's like, absolutely not. You know, and I feel like, 
you know, the, one of the reasons that school exists is because I felt like, you know, we needed a challenger in, in the, in, you know, in the agency space. So we don't need another agency with a bunch of like men's names associated with it, with no offense to all the men listening at this, but, you know, I'm just being honest here. Um, and so it's like, I don't, it doesn't need to have my name on the door. I don't want to have my name on the door. And so I was then kind of like debating between like, what would it be? And ultimately school felt like a really good sort of analogy and how we want to work with our clients. And it's sort of the anchor by which we as a team are kind of, you know, connected and wrapped around. But then I also love the notion of, you know, the thread is sort of what connects us with our clients and it's sort of what keeps it all together. Um, but if I'm being totally honest, I was also considering Leland and Estes, which are streets that I lived on. So, you know, we advise our clients to be a lot more intentional than I was with the uh, starting of this company. But anyone who knows me can also attest that like, I move fast, you know, and it's like, once I like locked in, I'm just like, okay, let's just go. We'll, we'll just like build it and break it and figure it all out. And never will anyone accuse me of being perfect at all. So um, <laughs> I think this is sort of a, you know, per, a perfect example, you know, ironically, if you will, of um, how just kind of moving fast. And like, once I kind of had it in my head, I was like, okay, let's just get this started and we'll figure it out. So that's, that's the long-winded over-caffeinated answer. <laughs> nice. No, I, I like that. But, um, a lot of founders have that story. I mean, we do too. I, I actually picked the name Cannabis Marketing Association because I was like, this sounds professional and like a membership type group. Like I, I didn't really know or have um, a clear intention behind it, but it came up and that was it. So I, yeah. I get that. And did you grow up in Chicago? Or are you from the area? Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in the city of Chicago and um, went away to school. I went to college in upstate New York and came back and um, was pretty, you know, hell bent on staying in the city. We actually moved. We're in Evanston, which is the town just north of Chicago. Um, and actually, um, Evanston is a pretty progressive and, um, you know, we have reparations. Uh, we are the first city in America to use cannabis sales for reparations for BIPOC residents um, to account for, you know, the kind of racist systemic structure of larger society. Um, so I'm very proud to be in Evanston where I think we have allocated and put cannabis profit to serve our community. That's awesome. And isn't, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that where Northwestern is? Isn't there yeah. a university there? Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm yeah, from yeah. Cleveland. Um, so I used to visit oh, Chicago nice. all the time and, uh, yeah. And I used to go to uh, Northwestern and play lacrosse. So I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. We love it's, it, you know, Evanston's a great complex, you know, city outside the city of Chicago, but, um, but we love it. And yes, Northwestern, I also have two kids. So it's been a nice source of childcare and babysitters. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, particularly the last two years. I can yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, okay. So what are some of the lessons from any adversity you have faced in this industry that might be helpful to share, um, with entrepreneurs or marketers getting started? Do you have any like specific stories of lessons learned, um, that, that, you know, I know as a founder, I, I feel like I do this 25 times a day. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, you, things happen, you learn, you pivot and you grow, but what is some advice you would have imparted on your, maybe your 2016 self? Um, you know, it, it is so hard. I mean, honestly, it, it, you know, the journey of 
bringing an idea forward is I think one of the hardest things and I've given birth to two children. So I feel like I've, you know, <laughs> gone through the process in different iterations and painful iterations. But, um, you know, I remember when I had my very first startup, which was sort of side project back in 2013. And that was sort of what sparked my want to continue to work with startups. You know, I found that, that, you know, there would be times where it just felt like, you know, nothing was kind of moving in the right direction. And then bam, you know, I'd get like a response from an investor or I'd get, you know, a response from somebody that I've been trying to reach out to. And that, you know, just one of those little moments would then like push me for another like three weeks, you know, it's like, okay, fine. You know, and it was sort of like that moment of like validation and that moment of just encouragement. And they didn't even realize that by responding to an email or, you know, taking my call or looking at a deck or presentation, how much that was you know, pushing me forward. And so I would say for people that are building this, you know, treasure and really honor, you know, when you have those moments that kind of keep you moving forward, because it can sometimes feel like, you know, few and far between, you know, and, and you have to really kind of keep that motivation up. But, um, but when you do kind of find those moments, really push it as hard and as much as you can. And then I would also implore and ask that, you know, when you are kind of, you know, on the other side and things are going successful, make time to pay that forward. You know, I, to this day, will share my calendar and, you know, make time to talk to entrepreneurs and to startups. And that's why, you know, school has an entire arm dedicated to working with, you know, emerging companies. And a lot of those are founded by women or otherwise underrepresented founders that, you know, have a much harder time in terms of raising investment or access to capital and resources. And, you know, I, I feel as though any success that I'm able to grow or to realize is only because of what people kind of provided to me. And again, that can be as simple as even just like having a really important, significant conversation at the right time. And that could be worth so much. And, um, and so I really believe in just being able to pay that forward and making the time and space to help. Um, because, you know, we want to have innovation, we want to have emerging companies. And if that is all just coming through from big, you know, you know, R&D within like larger behemoth companies, I don't think that's actually going to really kind of push us all forward. We need to have founders, we need to have startups. And I think especially in the cannabis space, we, we need to continue to push the thinking. I think cannabis is really unique and interesting in that, you know, you have sort of the pioneers, you have people who have been sort of invested in advocating and, and working within the space for decades, but, you know, and, and you have to sort of honor and respect them, but you also have to just, we have to bring and infuse new ideas and new ways of working. And, you know, if we want to see, you know, from a federal standpoint, you know, legalization and more access, not from a state-by-state -state basis, you know, it means we all have to work together too. So I think if you think about it as sort of a larger goal and kind of objective, how can we play a role in that? And how do we, um, you know, work to support the people that are busting their butts and doing the work and, and, you know, sacrificing because they have an idea they want to see realized? Yeah, no, that's very true. And I think too, for uh, founders that are bootstrapped or not funded, when you don't have that financial R&D budget, the 
room for error is really small because if you use up that budget, that's it. So uh, being yeah. able to help or get that advice is is so critical. And I, I share a similar story where I actually have a gratitude label on my inbox and um, a gratitude folder on my screenshots on my iPhone. And anytime I get one of those emails, I screenshot yeah. it or label it and save it. And in the hard days, I go back because they really matter, even if it's just a simple email from someone who said something nice. Um, but, but it ended up making my day. So I, I do think that really helps, um, you know, get you through the day to day as a founder. Yeah. It, and I would just say too, when I was in the big agency world and I was so kind of burnt out and so over it, I, you know, the idea of sort of leaving and taking a leap of faith to, you know, to, to walk away from that kind of, you know, those golden handcuffs or whatever, um, I was listening to the podcast, how I built this, um, oh, which yeah. I loved and just, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he had, um, Jim, Jim, um, cook from, uh, Sam Adams from Boston brewing and Jim cook talked about the notion of how just because something is scary, doesn't mean it's dangerous. And in his experience, mm-hmm. he was working at Boston consulting and he was sort of on this corporate trajectory that he was going to be very successful, but he hated it. And he wanted to be a brewmaster. And it was at a time where there wasn't a lot in that space. And he kind of likened it to rock climbing, you know, that rock climbing can be really scary. You're on the side of a mountain, but ultimately you're harnessed to something that can withhold the weight of a pickup truck truck, you know, so it's not really dangerous. And I'm not kidding, Lisa, when I heard that I was on the train to work and I think I gave my notice like four days later and I emailed Jim Cook after that too. And I was just like, you, you know, I said, I sent an email to like every variation of like J K O C H, you know what I mean? Like, and then one of them happened to be right. I still don't know which one, but I wrote him and I just said, thank you because he said the words that I needed to hear. And I would recommend, and I tell this story all the time because for me, and, and others, I think that was such a articulation and it can feel really scary when you're doing something big, when you're taking sort of a risk, you're making the sacrifice, it can feel really scary, but look at, at the end of the day, anyone who has their act together. And by the way, I'm not swearing. I normally swear like a sailor. So I was just about to say that, word, but anyone who has their act together enough to, you know, to, to move forward with an idea, you know, even if that idea doesn't become what you want it to become, you learn so much and it's not dangerous and you can go and you can find another job if that's what you need to do, or if you are kind of in a situation that you need to go back to some stability, but like, but it's not dangerous. You know what I mean? And if you can kind of think and operate through that way, you know, it's sort of freeing. And, and I would say in my own experience, I've had, you know, three other startups until I launched and I consider school a startup and we're investing in companies. We're really operating way beyond just a traditional agency. Um, but it all builds, you know what I mean? And I don't, I don't for a second think that I would be where I am if I hadn't gone through just those experiences. And I joke, it's like, I got the MBA I never knew I needed, but you know, if you can kind of harness it and really think about it, um, it gets you to where you need to be. But but ultimately you're not in harm's way. And I think it's important to remind us of that as well. No, I, that is really good perspective because it can feel like that. It can feel that that line between danger and fear um, can be thin sometimes. So that is, that is a really good reminder. Um, do you mind me asking what those three startups were? Sure. Um, so one was a, um, it was like a crowdfunding platform for moms called Mumsy. 
Um, and then another one was a direct to consumer uh, product called Finbin. Um, and so uh, that was sending um, like baby boxes and kits to families and to new parents. Um, and you know what? I, those, that's it actually. Cause then I, then I just started to consult and um, those were like the two actual standalone companies and then my consulting business, but that ultimately turned into school. Sorry, <laughs> it's getting caught up in the <laughs> dramatics. So just no. two, but <laughs> Mumsy and uh, Finbin were the two companies that I started and, and it was a lot and it was exhausting. But again, I think that it all paved the way to where I am. And you, you even mentioned this earlier too, Lisa, of like, you know, when you started out and I think that this is true of school, it's like, you know, kind of start out with like, what is that vision? But like, there's no way I could have constructed, you know, I feel like trust the process, trust the journey a little bit. And I feel like it's become so cliche, but it really is true that like, if you can kind of be open and, and if, if I had try to over construct or over architect, you know, like, here's what we're doing and here's how we're going to do it. You know, I feel like I would have totally shut out so many other perspectives or opportunities that just came in by me being like, okay, let's just get this out. Let's see how it goes. Let's move. But you have to be open to like where and when it makes sense to kind of, okay, let's, let's go down this, like kind of, you know, detour, let's see where this takes us. And, um, you know, and I think that's, how our journey has been. It has by no means been lateral. It's been sort of, you know, detour after detour, but, um, but strategically too, you know? Yeah, that's, that is the key. It is an iterative process with yourself, your vision, your team, your customers. Um, and you, you do have to find that balance of seeing the forest from the trees, but keeping that vision and that strategy and, and ensuring you're making progress, even though sometimes it does it can often feel like just one foot in front of the other, one step at a time. But if you have mm -hmm. that North uh, star, if you will, and are, are moving towards it, you can absolutely get there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I wanna ask, what are some marketing and communication strategies that you see as effective for cannabis brands or companies or any stories you wanna share about um, pitching the media and you know something working? Um, I, I wanna kind of get into the meat a little bit of, of those strategies that, that really help cannabis brands, um, particularly uh, startups and those who are growing and expanding. And if, and if you have anything to impart as well, as far as the difference, maybe a follow-up to that um, for a company that would be state specific and maybe either looking to go national or kind of what is that difference between, okay, here's how I would, I would approach this in Michigan versus California. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, having a really crystal clear sense of sort of where and what does the market opportunity look like and then what and who are you looking to market to and then how are you looking to set your brand your company your products apart from others I think right now what we're seeing is there is just such saturation in the space and I think from a consumer standpoint there is you know I, I think there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of parroting, you know, depending on kind of what a consumer might go in looking for, um, you know, the, you know, the bud tenders have such um, a, a huge role in that process from an education piece too, of, of how to kind of direct at that really crucial moment of kind of point of sale. So I think the more that a brand can be crystal clear in terms of, you know, what they're, what and how they're looking to set themselves apart. And then I'd say, as they build their, you know, their customer base and as they, as they kind of build that following, how to keep those folks highly engaged. Because I think that, you know, what 
I've seen is that, you know, brands will invest in the market to bring people in, um, into the space to kind of, you know, to get folks to put down the Tylenol PM and to opt for, you know, CBN and THC, you know, sleep alternatives and things like that. But, um, but if they're, if they don't kind of quickly establish that loyalty, consumers are going to kind of go all over the place, you know? So I think that, you know, if I were speaking with a cannabis brand right now, I would say, you know, the more that you can kind of invest in, in just building that loyalty and, and building that kind of, you know, direct, you know, one-to-one kind of marketing strategy, I think that is really powerful and impactful in addition to then, you know, upper funnel, um, you know, ways to kind of bring people in and to kind of build that credibility, you know, so if you focus from a PR standpoint that, you know, public relations and communications could be really effective in terms of um, helping the overall category, helping with brand visibility and credibility as well. Um, but then you really also have to get really granular when you're kind of at that tippy bottom point of the funnel of how do you then keep those consumers and those, um, you know, purchasers engaged with your brand so that they're not just, you know, coming into the category and then going kind of to different brands every time they come in to make a purchase. And do you work with your clients on that bottom of funnel um, conversion loyalty you know, sticking to the brand aspect? And if so, what are, what are some of the strategies that you suggest or recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's an opportunity for brands to take, um, to actually build community in the real world and to create sort of opportunities to, to host events, especially if you're, you know, if a brand is in a specific market and isn't quite ready to kind of move into other states or to do licensing. Um, for instance, in Michigan, we worked with um, a cannabis brand and we partnered with yoga studios. And so we actually used outside partners and, you know, entities that really fit with within certain product and within certain need state sort of, you know, universes to, to help kind of further build that community and to also create association. So it wasn't just kind of through the lens of cannabis, but it was through the lens of wellness. And it was through the lens of how this is sort of playing a role in overall um, well-being, you know, in the same way that yoga does in the same way that, you know, eating more plant-based, you know, diet does. And so um, I think brands also have an opportunity to kind of get a little like gorilla, if you will, of just, you know, finding other ways to kind of help build and cultivate those communities. Because the other thing is that there is tremendous power in harnessing word of mouth. And so, you know, and again, I think with cannabis, there can be a lot more challenges if you try to just pursue it head on from a traditional marketing standpoint. So you have to get a little bit creative. And so if you are able to cultivate it, if you kind of, let's go through the journey. If somebody reads an article in the New York Times about a Michigan-based cannabis brand, and, um, and then that person goes into a provisioning center in Michigan, Again and makes a purchase for the brand, um, you know, how does the brand then make sure to kind of get their data, get their information, and that might be on package to say, you know, sign up here for, you know, whatever it may be, if there's sort of a discount or whatever that call to action is. And then as that brand is able to cultivate and build more of a database of, you know, its community of its consumers, how, how does that brand then sort of parcel and look at, okay, where do these folks live in different proximity throughout the state? And how do we make sure we can kind of create different sort of gatherings or meetups or, you know, fireside conversations or do a tour and take, you know, the CEO and founder and go to, you know, 10 key counties um, and, you know, do sort of meet and greets and Q&A. So um, I think that there is a real opportunity. And, it, and then I would say using those opportunities to like, 
get photography and to create, you know, content. And then you can kind of funnel that through social and through other channels too. But, you know, if, if I think more cannabis brands focus on the community aspect and getting a little bit more kind of down and dirty, um, you know, I think that that will pay back tremendously. And I think that that will also yield um, just more loyalty and that word of mouth piece, which I think, again, can be really effective in, in kind of keeping people committed to a brand, not just sort of kind of floundering within the category and kind of switching, you know, depending on what day and time they're going into the dispensary or provisioning center. So, yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is building community, um, transparency with the company and their leadership, um, and creating content throughout all of that so that they, the customer feels like they're a part of the, the brand, the company, and they're effectively involved I don't want to say in the process necessarily, but that, that they're an active member in the community um, around the company and what it serves. Yeah, absolutely. And going to where people are, you know, and, and bringing the brand and bringing products to where, you know, other places that, you know, that these consumers and, and these um, buyers are you know, leveraging to make their lives better. And I think that is sort of, you know, my, my assumption is a cannabis brand is looking to just help people feel better and to sleep better or to just enjoy things better. Um, so how to kind of partner with other like-minded or, you know, similar types of, um, you know, places in which, you know, they can, you know, bring cannabis and, and even through that infusion, it makes it, you know, all the much, all that much more better too. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, Catherine, is there anything, any last words of advice, something we didn't talk about that you want to mention or add? Yeah, I would just say, and, and I apologize because I don't think I addressed this in an earlier question, but, you know, as people and as founders are looking to um, sort of expand and to, to leverage public relations and kind of that earned engagement, which is a lot of, you know, what we do, I would say, you know, with PR, it's not, it's, you know, it, it is hard when it's done right, but it's also just time consuming, you know, in terms of just identifying who the, you know, the, the journalists are and, and the producers and who you want to kind of go out to. But really, I would say the more that folks, and if I were, you know, an early stage cannabis founder, what I would be doing is just reading as much as I can, both locally, as well as kind of nationally kind of building, you know, similar to your gratitude folder, you know, almost have like a folder of like links and articles and media contacts, because a lot of these writers are on, you know, Instagram or on Twitter. So even if you don't have their email address, there's definitely ways you can figure out how to kind of engage with them and just, you know, reach out to them and tell them what you're doing and tell them not just about sort of, don't try to just sell them on your product or your brand, but, you know, provide your perspective. Why, why are you looking to get into the space? What is setting you apart? How are you looking at, you know, the role you're, you know, you're playing in offering consumers a better, safer, you know, more transparent option, whatever it may be. And, you know, just start to kind of build, build that sort of, you know, study drumbeat of just, finding people who are writing about the category and the industry in which you're looking to really grow within and, you know, just start kind of doing some of that outreach. And, and it's about relationships. I mean, honestly, the most effective and, and, and the best sort of PR campaigns come from just, you know, having those relationships with reporters and journalists. So even if you're just writing somebody to say, Hey, love this article, this is great. Thank you so much for, you know, touching on these three key points. Like, that means a lot to them. And, and then you've kind of been able to, you know, set up that rapport. So I would just say, you know, 
approach it in, again, it's kind of similar to my last point of like building community. It's about, you know, just trying to kind of build some of those connections. And then, you know, if that reporter is working on another story or, you know, needs a source or an expert, you know, you might be the one that they go to because you've kind of started to get that ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. One of the things we do is um, you, you can build lists on Twitter. So once you have, you know, you, you can make a cannabis PR or journalist list. And each time you see a reporter who writes about or covers the industry, put them in that list and just keep up with that feed to see what they're doing yeah. and sort of have that direct line. So social media does offer tools to sort of hack or do the startup totally um, marketing and communications thing when it comes to reaching out with and connecting with the media. So thank you. That was, that was a really good tip. Okay. So would you like to share any contact information? How can our listeners um, find school? Are you on social media? Um, and any, any way they can get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. We are, um, our website is schoolmarketing.com. So hopefully very straightforward. Um, we're on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, I think we might be on Twitter, but honestly, you know, <laughs> it's a lot to keep up with. We're like it the is. shoemakers, barefoot kids, you know, um, <laughs> but I think if you, if anyone ever goes to schoolmarketing.com, there's ways to reach out, um, and to be in touch and, um, yeah. And just, you know, it, it is an industry that I feel honored to, be part of and to, to keep learning from. And, you know, I really believe that there is so much more that is going to continue to come to light and just how impactful cannabis is and, and will continue to be. And, and I think all of us are kind of working towards that. So, you know, I love to connect always with other folks that are doing the same work. And, you know, I think, um, you know, rising tides lift all. So, you know, working together, collaborating, always open for that. Awesome. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. I appreciate you sharing all of your insights. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoy it and, and appreciate the opportunity. It's been nice to chat. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Party Like a Marketer. Follow us on Instagram at Party Like a Marketer and on our website, thecannabismarketingassociation.com. And be sure to join us in person this June 7th through 9th for the annual Cannabis Marketing Summit happening in Denver, Colorado. Check out our website for more details and membership information. We'll see you next time.